0: Your hands, your feet, your sight. Jesus, I trust in you.
1: Just look in first John three, verse twenty-one concerning hindrances to our faith. I was thinking this evening, you know, about you know, hindrances to our faith, and just so many things came to me. But it just seemed like this was one of the most important, you know, and one that really seems to trip up a lot of people. Even some old-timers in the Lord let this sneak up on them sometimes. And that's condemnation. Scripture says, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness towards God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. We can have boldness if we feel that God's on our side for whatever we want from God. But without that boldness, you can't even obey God. It becomes a vicious cycle of condemnation. And then because you're condemned, you can't have faith. And then because you don't have faith, you fall deeper and deeper into sin. And the cycle just gets worse and worse until the Lord in his mercy begins to show us again something he showed us probably many times before and that is that we're saved by grace you know? and that he overlooks our sin and that there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ I would like to look at that verse in Romans 8 because there is some mistranslations of that that have really I think perverted the truth there Now you know how much I believe in obedience, but also I I like to like everybody to find a balance on that because we can obey what we see and know. Sometimes we can't obey what we see and know. Sometimes we fail, you know. And our God is a forgiving God. If He wasn't, none of us would be here. But the Scripture says there is now there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. And some translations add, uh, what does, what's King James say there? Then that walk not according? It walk not, after the flesh. it walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And that just really destroys the hope of that verse because there is, in the numerics, that last part was added in. There's no numeric pattern in it. If you had to walk according to the spirit, in everything in your life in order to not be condemned by God we would be in an impossible situation because frankly all of us in some ways are not walking according to the Spirit you know, until you've manifested Christ or become perfect in some ways we're not walking according to the Spirit so that really destroys the hope of that verse, the hope of that verse is there's no condemnation to you that are in Christ Jesus, God is not condemning you as imperfect and as failure-prone as you are and I are, God is not condemning us. That's the great thing about it. If we're not sinning with our will, then God looks upon us as he looked upon Jesus when Jesus was on this earth. I want to prove that to you. First of all, Paul tried to help us to see that in Romans 7 when he gave his explanation of, I think, when he was coming out from under the law and under grace. You know, a lot of times we get under law. Even as Christians, we get under law because we begin to try to please God or else by what we do or else we begin to see that we haven't pleased God because of what we have done. And it's just, like I said, a vicious cycle. You get more and more condemned and you have less and less faith. And the trials and the troubles and the tribulations that you get into, you fail in because you can't have faith towards God. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Condemnation, I think, is probably next to walking by sight one of the most dangerous traps to fall into because you can't have faith and condemnation at the same time. But Paul in Romans 7 gave us his explanation when he came to learn this, I think, uh, verse 15, I guess would be a good place to start. Well, that which I do, n- do, I know not. Well, not what I would, that do I practice. But what I hate, that I do. It's a hard understanding of my translation. Yeah. Uh, why don't you slide over here and read that in yours, close to this. You can read that in yours, Pauline, and I think yours is a lot easier to understand.
0: From 15 on down. I do not understand what I do, but what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, but what I hate to do, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good.
1: Right. You got. In other words, Paul was caught in the trap of doing what he didn't want to do. And he was agreeing with the law, where some people don't. They justify themselves when they're doing something that's not right. And Paul showed a good heart in that he was agreeing that the law was right. And verse 17, let me read that on down. It says, no, so now it is no more I that do it, but the sin which dwelleth in me. You see, if your will is against the failures that you're falling into, then God doesn't attribute that to you. He attributes it, attributes it to the sin that dwells in you. The very thing that he's come to destroy, the thing he's still destroying in us, the thing that's his enemy. If our will is against what we're doing is wrong, And if our will is for what we want to do, but fail to do, then he says, it's not me doing it, it's the sin dwelling. Now that gives you hope, doesn't it? An excuse. So you have to take it for what it really says, because some people do take it for an excuse. The point is, where is that line between doing it willfully and not? And that's something that we've all got to come to, and only our own conscience can tell us, you know, until you get to outward moral disobedience, you know, because everybody knows that that's wrong, you know, okay? And then the Scripture commands us what to do about it. But let me read on down. Verse 18, For I know that in me that is in my flesh well, is no good thing, for the will is present with me. But to do that which is good is not. For the good I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I practice. He wanted to do good, but he wasn't able. And the evil that he didn't want to do, he did. Verse 20, But if what I would not, that I do, (laughs) It's no more I that do it, but the sin which dwelleth in me. I find them the law, that to me who would do good, evil is present. It's like a law, isn't it? No, it's like the law of gravity. If you've got an evil nature, even if you want to do good, you're going to fail, right? That's right. It's like a law. The law that to me who would do good, evil is present. Well, I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Your spiritual man desires to obey God, desires to please God, right? It says, verse 23, but I see a different law in my members, a law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, a good law warring against an evil law, right? bringing me into captivity under the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me out of the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I of myself with the mind indeed serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. I think Paul was giving his experience with coming out from under the law and into grace, learning what grace was all about, learning what sin was, learning how God attributed sin or didn't attribute sin. The great thing is, is we can all sympathize with him here, can't we? Everybody here has been in that exact same place. As a matter of fact, even though we weren't under the covenant, under the old covenant, we've experienced being under the law. because. The law gave you the knowledge of God, and it depended upon your ability to fulfill that knowledge. And when you didn't fulfill that knowledge, when you didn't fulfill being obedient to that knowledge, you were condemned. And the law did that. According to Galatians chapter 3, it brought condemnation to everyone, because according to your own strength, nobody has ever fulfilled the whole law, right? But according to God's strength, we can fulfill the law. Uh, But the great thing about it is, because of this covenant, Romans chapter 4, let me read that, verse 1, the great thing about it is, God looks upon us as he looked upon Jesus, if we're not sinning with the will. What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather hath found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified or made righteous, some of your translations may say that, if Abraham was justified or made righteous by works, he hath whereof to glory. In other words, he could be proud, he? He could he? He could brag about it. If by his own works he was made righteous. Okay? But not towards God. What says the Scriptures? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned unto him for righteousness. It was reckoned for righteousness. Just because he believed. Not because he was obedient. Just because he believed. Now, to him that worketh, The reward is not reckoned as of grace, which is unmerited favor, right? If you work, it's not unmerited, is it? No. But as of a death. In other words, if you of your own strength could be obedient to God, he would owe you salvation. He would owe you eternal life. And God's not going to have it on that order. All of our righteousness, all of our self-works in order to be saved, is this filthy rags before God? That's the way he looks upon. He's he not interested in us being perfect by our own strength. He's not interested in that. It goes on. But to him that worketh not, verse five, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Do we believe that God justifies the ungodly? Do we believe God makes righteous the ungodly in this room? and in Christianity. This is where God's acceptance comes in. Now God accepts us perfectly. He justifies. He makes righteous the ungodly. His faith is reckoned for righteousness. Not his works, only his faith. His faith is reckoned for righteousness. God calls you righteous. He calls you justified. If you believe in the sacrifice of Jesus, if you believe that Jesus took away your sins. It's true that faith without works is dead, but without faith, you can't have God's works. You can only have your works. Without faith, if you've got works for full faith, it's your works. Whenever you're trying to get something from God, make sure he knows, and make sure you know that you're going about it by faith. And not by your own works. Because if that's not true, you will fail. God will see to it you'll fail. Because He don't want you to. He's not going to be indebted to you. <laughs> you know, this is either going to be by grace, which is unmerited favor, or it's not going to be at all. Verse six, even as David also pronounced blessing upon the man unto whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessings upon the man unto whom God reckons righteousness are from works. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. That's, that's like propitiation. There, That's the word propitiation in the New Testament. Or covering, right? Our sins are covered. If we're not walking in the sins of the will, if we're not willing a disobedience. If we're not willfully walking against God, then our sins are covered. We walk perfectly before God. He accepts us perfectly. He accepts us as justified. He accepts us as he accepted Jesus when he walked on this earth. If you can see yourself, if you can see that God sees you in the way he saw Jesus, you can have faith. You can have faith to fulfill his ministry. You can have faith to do what he did. If you can't see that, you can't do what he did. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not reckon sin. He will not reckon sin. Now let's go over to chapter 3 and verse uh, verse 20 and read this. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In other words, whatever you can attain to by self-will and knowledge of God's will, it won't justify you, because you can't do it perfectly, and you can't do it with everything in your life. If you want to be justified by the law, the scripture says you have to keep the whole law. Right? So you cannot be good enough for God, any way you look at it, you cannot be good enough. And so he accepts you where you are. Just like I accept Jennifer just as much as I accept Corbett. You yeah. know? Acceptable, perfectly acceptable, no difference. And our maturity in Christ makes no difference. We're acceptable to God. We're justified. We're made righteous before God. It says, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's why the God gave up, gave the Old Testament before the New Testament, is to bring people into that knowledge and to keep people from sinning until the seed who was to receive the promise came along and. We in this room are part of that seat. Verse 21. Now apart from the law, a righteousness, apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Unto all them that believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. All well, that, of course, includes us. We, every one of us here, feel like a failure at times, don't we? we feel like, boy, I missed a good chance there, Lord, or, or I did this. Either sins of omission or commission, you know. Either way, we, we, we sin enough that if we dwell on it very much, it'll sure drag us down. You, know? you can't have faith if you're going to be depressed. You can't have faith if you're going to feel rejected by God. Of course, condemnation is one of the main things that leads to that in Christians. Verse 24. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Freely. Not by our works, but freely. Whom God set forth to be a propitiation or a covering, it's a laster, which is the Greek word there, it means a covering, through faith in his blood, to show his righteousness because of the passing over of the sins done aforetime in the forbearance of God. So, you know, many times the devil, I know he's, bought it, he's done it to me, and I know he's doing it to everybody else. It's one of his prime methods, I imagine is to start getting your eyes upon what you've done or your failures or what you haven't done, you know? That's my main one. That's my main one, too, I think. You know, the the devil, what you could have done, you know, what you could have done. He wants to get you out of your rest in the Lord, ceasing from your works. He wants to get you to working in the flesh. If he can get you to working in the flesh, trying to please God, he's won the battle. He's won the battle. So he'll get your eyes on something that you haven't done. Well, probably, if God wanted you to do it, he would have given you the anointing at the time to do it, right? But that doesn't make any difference to the devil. He's a deceiver. He'll point out, oh, this person that you could have talked to about the Lord, you know, or that person that you should have said something to him before they died, or so on and so forth. Just anything. It doesn't matter. He'll bring up something to condemn you for. This failure, that failure, this sin, that sin. Many times he'll condemn you for things that you truly did. Wrong. But God's not condemning you. The devil is. Remember, if it's a sin that's not of the will, God's not condemning you. If you feel condemnation, know who it is. It's the devil. Know who you have to do warfare with. The devil. Turn on him and come against condemnation. And you'll win. You'll find that you win very quickly. Because it is the devil, That God would condemn us for our sins from the ground on up, from the time we enter into the kingdom to the time that we grow up. We could never have any fellowship with him. We could never come before his throne of grace boldly, which the scripture tells us to do, doesn't it? Come boldly before the throne of grace. Yet if the devil can destroy that boldness to come to God... And take that free, unmerited favor of God. If he can destroy that, he can destroy our Christian walk. He can destroy our our power in the world. You know, our mission in the world that God has given to us. God's given us a mission in this world. He's given us a work to do, and yet many people cannot fulfill that work because they don't know that they're accepted by God. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've got a work to do and we will be able to do it by faith if we're not deceived into being condemned. If we're not deceived into being depressed. Or if we're not de- deceived into not seeing the potential that God put in us. Verse Verse uh, 17. Now look, look at yourself the way these scriptures say, you know, because this is the way God is looking at you. It says, Wherefore, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. God, who calls the end from the beginning, calls you a new creature, because he sees the end. God, who said he loved you before the foundation of the world, saw the end from the beginning. This is the way God's looking at us. This is the way we've got to look at ourselves if we're going to be effective for God. If we're going to be effective for ourselves, we have to look at ourselves this way. The old things are passed away. That's again, faith. Old things are passed away. All the old life is gone. It's dead. All of the old failure is gone. It's dead. All the old ineffectiveness. For God, inability, you know, is gone, passed away. Behold, thou art become new. We have to see ourselves by faith. God sees us by faith. And he accepts us as stumbling children. He accepts us that way. He accepts us with our failures, just like we accept our children with their failures. But we whip them when they willfully disobey, Right? That's the way God is. He accepts us with our failures, but He whips us when our will is against Him. But all things are of God, who reconciled us. Notice the tense on that. Reconciled us. And the word "reconciled" there is catalasso. It means to exchange. He gave us Christ's life, and He took ours and nailed it to the cross. And that's the way God sees us. He sees us as Christ. That's why we're called the body of Christ. Because God sees us as Christ. If you can see yourself as Christ, you can have boldness towards God. If you can see your mission as his mission, you can have boldness towards God to do for other people. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave unto us the same ministry. The ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of exchanging the curse on people's lives for the blessing of God. Because that curse stays there until they realize that Jesus took it on the cross. Our ministry is to put faith in the people, not condemnation, but faith in the people so that they can see that Jesus took away the curse and gave to them Abraham's blessings. Galatians chapter 3, right? Our ministry is the same ministry Jesus had. And if we're not endowed with the same power that Jesus had, we couldn't possibly do that. Jesus said in John chapter 20, As the Father sent me, so send I you. And he breathed on him and said, Receive you the Holy Spirit. So it is necessary to receive God's Holy Spirit in order to have that spirit of reconciliation, in order to be able to do what they did. I told some bunch of Presbyterian elders one time, I told them, I said, the reason you're not doing what they did is because you didn't get what they got. And that's the truth. You get what they got, you'll do what they did. I told them that way, you get what they got because they were claiming they had the Holy Spirit because they were saved. Okay? Well,
0: it's
1: not necessarily true. True. But God gives the Holy Spirit to those that ask Him. Doesn't the Bible say that? Don't let the devil tell you just because you don't speak in tongues, you know. You can't have the Holy Spirit because I know people will have the Holy Spirit. You know? But I'm not saying neither that you shouldn't seek to receive the gift of tongues because that is a great blessing, a great ministry for your life. To be able to pray according to the will of God is great and he'll give it to you too I never saw anybody that he wouldn't give it to and he saw it but I thought he'd give it to I've been in whole churches where everybody there got it some of them saw it had to seek it diligently but God gave it to them so I believe that everybody should have that here Um, but he gave unto us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself Jesus' ministry was to take away the curse and to give blessings. Everywhere he went, he had this ministry of reconciliation. He fed the hungry. He delivered the demonically oppressed. He healed the sick. He healed the emotional wounds people had. And God has given us the same ministry. But we've got to see ourselves the way God sees us. If we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, We won't have the boldness. The boldness to to reach out to others. uh, The boldness to go to the throne of grace to get what we need and able to reach out to others and to ourselves. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Not reckoning unto them their trespasses. That's the ministry of reconciliation. God don't reckon to us our trespasses, our failures, our foolishness. Boy, isn't that great? That takes a load off your shoulders now. Thank you, Father. Not reckoning unto them their trespasses. And that's the good news. You know, we need to help people around us, the lost people around us, to see that God does not reckon unto them their trespasses if they will come to Jesus. That's the great gift. Uh, I think a lot of I'm not saying God doesn't use the ministry of condemnation. He certainly does. He uses it on us. God uses it on us when we walk willfully against him. There's a a right time to be condemned and a wrong time to be condemned. The right time to be condemned is when you're walking willfully against God and you don't want to do right. And so that's condemnation that is according to the, the law. And there are people out there that are willfully walking against God and, and condemnation can have a ministry on them. But when you see somebody that's drawn of God, maybe they haven't come in completely, but you see that there is an interest and a desire. This is what they need to understand. They need to understand the ministry of reconciliation. They need to understand the exchange that Jesus made with them, giving them his life, taking their life and having committed unto us the word of reconciliation. We're ambassadors, therefore, on behalf of Christ. You know, an ambassador that has a ministry of reconciling countries, he goes with authority. God God is telling us we have a mission. We're ambassadors in behalf of Christ. He gives us the authority he gave to Jesus in this earth. We can do what Jesus did. Jesus said, he that believeth on me, greater works than me shall I do, because I go to the Father. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Um, These signs will accompany them, that believe. He gave the signs. We can do what Jesus did. We're ambassadors, therefore, on behalf of Christ, as though God were entreating by us. We beseech you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Do you realize that as long as you feel condemned for something that is not worthy, that you're not reconciled to God? You're not being reconciled to God. You're not accepting what Jesus did. You're not accepting... Your sins being nailed on that cross and you're not accepting his righteousness. You're not seeing yourself as one who is a new creation. Old things passed away. Everything become new. You're not seeing yourself that way. Be reconciled to God. Him who knew no sin, he made sin on our behalf. He made to be sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God in him that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. You know that what Christ did, if we don't reach out and take a hold of it, it's like worthless to us, you know? The very next verse it says, in working together with him, we entreat also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. What God accomplished There's nothing short of fantastic and miraculous. But it won't do us any good. It can be for nothing in our case if we don't reach out and take hold to it. If you're walking under condemnation, you can't have faith, and it short-circuits the plan of God in our life. If you're walking under depression, if you're walking under rejection, if you're walking under a failure complex, you can't be anything for God. We have to be confident of what God has given us. We have to be confident in our reconciliation, or else the grace of God's in vain. What God accomplished for us won't ever come to pass. And it's not something that you should think that God is going to do for you. Have you ever thought, God's going to perfect me? God's going to heal me. God's going to deliver me. You ever get those thoughts? No, they're not really scriptural. As true as that is, it's not a scriptural frame of mind. Look at the next verse. For he says, At an acceptable time I hearkened unto thee, and in a day of salvation did I succor thee. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, this this moment, right here. We are a new creation now. We have the ability of Christ now. We are delivered and forgiven of our sins and justified now. We are healed now. Doesn't the scriptures teach you to accept your healing now? We are delivered. All these things. Everything else that we do, of our own works, is that we don't believe what the scripture says. The devil's a great procrastinator, and he loves to get you into thinking procrastinating thoughts. Instead of accepting what God's already done for you, now he'll put it off till tomorrow. Because as we've already seen, tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow, he'll still be saying tomorrow. The next day, he'll still be saying tomorrow. We have to keep our, frame, our mind in Christ. We have to understand what he's already done, what he's already accomplished. Can you accept that God sees you as Christ? Well, I don't know, Dave. You think that that's what Jesus taught? Look at Luke chapter 10. Yeah, it's a great temptation in traditional Christianity to believe that God sent Jesus down to do all that. Do all the things that he did. And to say, well, he did it because he was God. You know? God don't do that anymore. He did it because he was God. Well, look what he said here in verse 16. Luke 10 and 16. Can you accept that God sees you as Jesus, as the body of Christ, as Jesus? He said, He that heareth you heareth me. Can you imagine that? Those that hear you, be brother or be, you know, lost or in the world, or whatever. He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that rejecteth you, rejecteth me. Think about it. It's easier to read over that and not think about it. Meditate on that. He that rejects you, rejects me. He that rejects me, rejects him that sent me. As the Father has sent me, Jesus said, so send I you. And he gave him the Holy Spirit. The spirit of reconciliation, the spirit that makes us witnesses for God. Another verse, Matthew ten and forty. Hold your hand right there. I might come back to Matthew ten and Matthew ten and forty. He that receiveth you receiveth me. And he that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. So if they receive you, hear you, or reject you, they're doing the same to Jesus. Whatsoever you've done to the least of these most brethren, you've done it unto me. The least of Jesus' brothers is reckoned by God as him. Can you imagine the Father not forgiving Jesus, or saying no to His scriptural requests? Yeah, can't even imagine that. Can't. But you could imagine it for you, couldn't? That that's and I could too. And that's in that way we're not thinking right, because you see what Jesus Himself is saying. Go back over to Luke chapter ten. Even Paul in in Galatians 4 one time, he said that they received him as an angel of God. Then he went on to say, as the Lord Jesus. They received him as the Lord Jesus. Verse 17, and the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject unto us in thy name. He said unto them, I beheld Satan fallen as lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon the serpents and the scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. All the power of the enemy. And nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Of course, if you believe, nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Nevertheless, in this, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. It just seems like the most important thing that the Lord wanted to know was not that the demons, that they had power over the demons, but that they were citizens of the kingdom of heaven. that They belonged to God, you know. Actually, that's where, our, it's, that's where our power springs from, is that because we are children of God, you know. And I guess maybe we shouldn't really think it's strange or odd, really, you know, that God has given us that authority, since we are the children of God. Can you, can you imagine that, uh, as you are a missionary for the Lord, that you have all power over the enemy and that nothing can hurt you? Have you thought about that?
0: Thought we that. have a
1: lot of examples, you know, we have the examples of the, well, the one about the, the Terry brought up about drinking the poison, about the, um, the, serpent bites and so on and so forth, you know, the Lord. and Mark 16, yeah. um, the protection that God gave to Paul when he was bitten. Yeah. At any rate, can you imagine that nothing showed in any wise hurt you? i thought about that before. I've had people that come to Bible studies in my home for years, and some of them, in fact, several times this has happened to me. They'd tell me, "Look, we can't. We're not coming tonight. But all the kids have got the mumps or the measles." And uh, I'm just told, hey, bring them, don't worry a thing, because we're not going to catch it. You know, we never would. We never did catch it. Because the Lord says that, you know. Can we claim this verse against anything that the power of the enemy has put upon us? Certainly. Doesn't it say that? It's given us authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Nothing shall in any wise hurt you. You believe that? Yeah. It won't work unless you do. <laughs> but here's, here's the point I was really getting at is uh, in verse uh, 21. It says, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, But thou didst hide these things from the wise and the understanding, and didst reveal them unto babes. Yea, Father, for so it was well-pleasing in your sight, God revealed these things unto babes. You know something? We're tempted to think sometimes, and I've had people tell me this, but I know it's not true, because I know myself, in a way. But uh, I've had people tell me, yeah, that's fine for you to do that, Dave. You've been walking with the Lord for so many years, you know, and you got a lot of faith, you know. And I would think, boy, that's wrong. That's wrong thinking, you know. That's just really wrong thinking. It's It's a distraction, you know, because it really don't make any difference how old you are in the Lord. The authority is in believing, you know. It has nothing to do with how old you are in the Lord. In fact, we've seen some of the greatest miracles in our ministry was when we was young in the Lord. Some of y'all have seen uh miracles, you know, having just first found out. You know, like Pete, when we were studying uh, uh, demons that time, you know. I think the next day or two, he went out and cast the demon of cancer out of his brother-in-law, you know. Just found out about it. He didn't have to have any maturing. as a matter of just believing what it said, you know. It's another deception of the devil, you know, that we have to be grown up in our faith to do some of those things, you know. It's just not true. For instance, let's look at uh, James chapter 5 and verse 17. Obviously, the Lord's trying to convince us here of this. You think of Elijah. He was a great man of faith. Let me tell you something. God could do what he did through Elijah with the monkey I'm telling you. Elijah had some of the same think about that when this guy, this carnal man dies that giant dies why? because it's because of the carnal man that we're in tribulations, trials, and troubles he's there to draw out the carnal man just to show us that he's there to cause us to make a decision which will either put him to death or bring him to life now, every decision we make when we come face to face with the giants does one of two things: it either brings them back to life or it puts them to death. And if we agree with the word of God, he's going to die. But if we agree with our old carnal upbringing, he's going to be resurrected, and our trial will even be worse. But I said, when you die, he dies. And the thing that I did in that dream—that was—that's that's a really good revelation—was, well, Chapter 9 of His Adams out. Right where he talks, you know, I put him out of business right where he talks. You know. And, you know, if we can stop by the power of God, by the grace of God, by the faith that's in us, if we can stop from speaking and agreeing with this world, we can bind the devil in circumstances. You know, the Bible says whatsoever you loose on earth is loose in heaven, whatsoever in you bind on earth is bound in heaven, right? And a lot of people make that to say, that's just, well, I bind you, devil, or I loose you, devil. But that's not really the truth of that. The truth of the matter is, whatever we say is either binding or loosing. When we agree with the Word of God, we're binding that devil up because he can't do nothing. When we agree with that Bible, he's being bound. But when we agree with the world, we're loosening ourselves into situations of trouble. We're causing that giant to get bigger, 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 you know? And... uh The circumstances and situation will be against us, but you know. As I got to meditating on that, you know, too, I grabbed him by the hair and I pulled his pulled his head back like that. You know what our hair symbolizes, right? We talked about that. Submission. Submission. Remember Samson's submission to the Lord. His hair symbolizes submission to the Lord. When he lost his hair, he lost his submission. He lost his power. And the woman in Kirk, 1 Corinthians 11, her long hair is given her for a covenant, a sign of submission. And I grabbed that old man by the hair and pulled him back. You know, his power source.
0: Yeah,
1: his power. But I got to thinking. You know, there's there's some places in the Scripture. You know, the thing is, the Bible says in Hebrews, yeah, Hebrews 5 and uh, 13 it says, everyone that partaketh of milk. And we know there's nothing wrong with milk, right? But you really can't mature very good on it. You can only stay a baby on milk, right? You need to go on to the meat to mature and bring forth fruit. And as Christians, we've got, we have no choice but to bring forth fruit. Or else we'll be called an unprofitable servant. But it says, for everyone that partaketh of milk is without experience of the word of righteousness. For he is a baby. He is without experience of the word of righteousness. You know, Jesus said, "My meat is to do the will of Him that right? That was Jesus' yeah, meat. Yeah. Our meat is to do. If you're if you're just on milk, you're without experience of the word of righteousness. You know, we have to speak the word of righteousness in order to make those giants smaller, smaller, smaller. And we've got to bind up. That old flesh from speaking out of all life, you know, and making the situation worse. But it goes on to say, but solid food is for full-grown men. Even those who by reason of use, use of what? Use of the word of righteousness. The meat, right? The word of righteousness. Have their senses exercised. Their senses exercised. To discern good and evil. We've got our senses have to be exercised by the Word of God. They need to be polished, so to speak, by the Word of God. And the okay.
0: <laughs> See,
1: when Jesus was speaking in Matthew 13 to the, the, um, to a crowd there, uh, he talked about the curse of those that had ears but couldn't hear and those that had eyes that couldn't see. Now, obviously, they all had eyes and ears, but they didn't have their eyes and ears exercised to discern the word of God and to see the, word, the understanding of God and so on and so forth. So we've got natural senses, which really are detrimental to the work of God because we've got to be able to see as God sees. We've got to see from the heavenly position, Set your mind on the things above, right? Scripture says, where Christ is seated, where we have been seated with God, right? Set your mind, your eyes on the things above. We've got to hear, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. We've got to hear the voice of the Lord and not the voice of the world, not the voice of the flesh. You know, we've been raised up since children hearing the voice of the flesh. And it's very natural to hear the voice of the flesh. It's very natural to hear the voice of the devil because he's the God of this world, right? But it's not natural to hear the voice of the Lord. It's super natural. It's above natural, right? All of our senses, we've got to learn to wean our natural senses and lose these spiritual senses that God's given us to the understanding of the Word of God. We've got to learn to put the death. The things that used to rule our life. What ruled our life? Senses rule our life. You know that reason is a simulation, assimilating. Reason is assimilating what comes into our mind through our senses, isn't it? Okay? But we're not supposed to follow reason anymore, are we? We're supposed to instead follow the real spiritual reasoning of the Word of God. Look, at, look in Joshua chapter 10. Well, this came to me after that. Joshua chapter 10. And I've seen a little bit here for years. And every time I read it, the Lord gives me a little bit more. You know that the disciples were so sure of their foundation that they never prayed for anybody to be healed. Did you ever notice that? Jesus was so sure of his foundation in God that he never prayed for anybody to be healed. He just commanded it so. Because he knew it was his right to command it. So he said, be healed. The disciples who followed him did the same thing. They never asked God to heal. Now, I'm talking about when they ministered. They didn't ask, God, will you please heal this person? Have you ever seen that description? You won't find it. Because they didn't do it. They didn't need to do it. They knew that their foundation was that God had already provided that healing. Okay. Uh, The Bible says in Isaiah 45, Command ye me concerning the work of my hands. Doesn't it say that? That's right. Well, look what Joshua did here in Joshua 10, when Joshua was in a war with his enemies who were ruling the land, right? These enemies were ruling the land, but Joshua wanted to rule the land, didn't he, right? He wanted to rule that land. Joshua, is Yeshua, it's the same name for Jesus. We want Jesus to rule this land, right? But yet, enemies have ruled in this land, okay? Look what it said in uh, uh, verse 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in in that day, when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Azulam. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed until the nation had avenged themselves of their enemies. Now look, you know, you tell me God do not go to extremes in order to bring to pass what's necessary to bring to pass for his children. You know yes. that? He's, he will go to extremes. And this is a proven fact, by the way. They've proven that this day is missing. Yeah. Okay? Uh, but it goes on. It's not, is it not written in the book of Jasher? And the sun stayed in the midst of heaven and hastened not to go down but a whole day. And there was no day like that before or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought resolutely. And some people would say, well, you see there, God don't listen to the voice of a man. And that's true. He don't listen to the voice of a man. He listens to Jesus in you. He listens to the spiritual man which is born from above. That man which is not man at all in every one of us. He's not man. He's born from above. He's born of God. He's son of God, right? And Joshua returned and all these were with him under the camp under the Gilgal. And these five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave of Makeda. And it was told, Joshua, saying, the five kings are found hidden in the cave of Makeda. And by the way, that word Makeda means the foe. Like in the sense of a herd, you know, that's what the word means, the fold. God's people, right? Okay. And Joshua said, roll great stones unto the mouth of the cave and set men by it to keep them. But stay not. And they went on to pursue after their enemies. But I'm going to tell you what came to me when I first read this. That these five kings that ruled this land, that's the five senses that have ruled this land for so many years. The enemies of Joshua, who was supposed to be ruling this land, okay? What they do? They put, those kings were hidden in that cave. Now, Remember all the parallels we've looked at between Israel, the Promised Land, this land, like in Hebrews six, the land that has drunk the rain. It's talking about a person who don't repent, who can't repent. So I'm in a person there, the land. This is the land, okay? Look at that in this sense. Here you've got a cave with a mouth, right? A hole in the land, a cave with a mouth in the land, right? And and who's hiding in that cave? (laughs) Five kings who rule that land, right? And I think that they are the senses. So anyway, you know, one of our biggest, our biggest enemy, we're talking about the hindrances to faith. You know our biggest enemy is self. It's reason, it's reason Walking after the sight of the old corner of man instead of the sight of heaven. Seeing those things that be not as though they were. Seeing things from a heavenly perspective. Seeing ourselves as healed in Christ. Seeing ourselves as delivered and saved and so on and so forth. Seeing ourselves as what? Well. Our perspective, our senses have to be exercised to discern right from wrong. What's right for the world is wrong for us. Some people say, well, Dave, I just can't confess myself to be healed. I feel like I'm lying. Well, it depends on whose kingdom you're in, right? If you're confessing in God's kingdom, like God does, calling those things that be not as though they were, you're confessing in an eternal kingdom. Listen, this little space of time don't even show up, even as a speck in the expanse of eternal history. You don't even show up. What's truth? Truth is the eternal. This this life we're living in, the Bible calls it a threat. It's like a breath. It's like a mist. It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. What is truth? What is truth? You know, if I don't want to know what is truth, truth is the word of God. Truth is the things that we don't see. God chose the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. What we've got to learn to do is choose the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, and stop trying to use the things that are to bring to nothing things that are. You see, you see what I'm saying? Everybody says, well, God uses the doctors today. Well, God don't need doctors. You might need them, but God don't need them. That's people using the things that are to bring to nothing the things that are. You know what is it's not? Your healing in Christ. Proclaim boldly that by his stripes you were healed. Now you know what you're doing? You're using the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Did you ever see Jesus use the things that are to bring to nothing the things that are? No, use the things that are not. He boldly proclaimed the word of God, faith, the word of faith. He proclaimed it. Those senses, these senses that I'm talking about are the things that we're going to have to polish up, you know. Remember David and the five smooth stones? Yeah. They were stones, right? These are stones. These stones that are plugging the mouth of this cave, keeping these five kings captive. These stones. What did, what did, what did Jesus say to Peter? Upon this rock, I'll be in my church. What was he talking about? The revelation that Jesus was the Son of God. you were not talking about Peter. You're talking about the revelation that Jesus was the Son of God. You know, there are principles that are stones. There are parts of the main rock. You know, Jesus is the rock. These principles make up Jesus. The principles of God is what we need to stop us from speaking, from thinking, from seeing, from feeling, the things of this world, instead, doing those things the way God would have do them. right? Well, they later brought those kings out, and uh, guess what Joshua did? He had his rulers over his army put their foot on their neck. Yeah. You read that further on down in verse uh, 24. He called out the chiefs of the men of war, and he had them put their foot on their neck. Yeah. know, what's neck? There it is again, the same thing. You can't talk to somebody's foot on your neck. Not very good, can you? This is the thing, you know. We may understand and think. We may have all these old carnal thoughts, reasonings in the back of our mind. But it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you, Jesus said. Do you understand? What we need to do is stop it from coming out. Don't speak. Don't think. Don't act in the way that you used to would have. We have to renew our minds with the word of God if we want to be transformed, right? We're looking for transformation. In other words, having our senses exercised. Put some restraint on them. What about the bridle in the mouth in James chapter 3? The bridle in the mouth. Like, if you can bridle your mouth. The Bible says you're a perfect man. If the only thing that comes out of your mouth is sweet water instead of bitter, you're a perfect man. Brottling the mouth goes a long ways to taking care of the rest of the senses the mouth is the most important one of all of them because it can bless you and it can curse you, the Bible says out of your innermost being should flow rivers of living water This spake he of the spirit say that leads see what comes out of our mouth should be nothing but living water, living word of God and none of that other hogwash that we've been raised up with, right? um and they put, death, put them to death and hanged them on five trees. Five trees. You no, know, Jesus was coming on a tree, wasn't he? Actually, yeah. the word is tree. Five. You know why five trees? Because, look, this old man was put to death. It's not, you know, a lot of people put a lot of emphasis on it. You've got to put the flesh to death. You've got to put the flesh to death. Well, the first thing you got to do is you got to believe the flesh is put to death. Because Jesus put that flesh to death on the cross. It's not by works. It's not by... And I've heard a lot of people that preach the right doctrine, but they make works. Make it into works, you know. Your efforts, your efforts are going to put him to death. Well, yeah, you'll have all the power you need to put the flesh to death if you first start by faith. If you first reckon that Jesus put to death, all five of them sentences on the cross, on that tree. They've been hung on the tree. Look over at... um. 1 Samuel 17, verse 40, 1 Samuel 17 and 40, I'm convinced from studying the scripture the most important one, the mouth. Even if you see things wrong and hear things wrong, you know the Bible says a fool is counted as wise if he keeps his mouth shut. Have you ever read that verse?
0: <laughs>
1: a fool is counted as wise if he keeps his mouth shut. Now, there's a lot of truth to that. <laughs> well, look, it says uh, in verse 40 well first of all David uh, Saul wanted to put on David his armor and he, he had never tried that kind of armor you know the worldly kind of armor and he didn't, didn't, hadn't proved it right but in verse 40 it says and he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag those five smooth stones are the senses exercised by the word of God to know good from evil the brook is the water the word of God right smooth those stones out, right? Life is going to do that to us. Life itself, as we walk by faith, life itself will do that to us. Circumstances that we get into. As we walk by faith and we put the Word of God in our heart, we'll learn how to speak, how to hear, how to hear God's voice and not anybody else's voice, it's not you hear my voice, right? And how to see things the way God sees them. Well, we need to see the way God sees them. Instead of walking after sight, walk after faith. Faith sees things the way God sees things. Our carnal vision sees things that are going to be brought to nothing. It's like shifting sand, you know? You know, a hearer of the word of God, but not a doer of the word of God builds his house on sand. You know why? Sand is not permanent. And when you walk after sight... You're not a doer of the word of God because you're not confessing and you're not seeing what the Bible tells you to see and confess. And it's it's uh, the things that are, are temporal, the Bible says, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, right? While we look not at the things, hold your finger there. I don't want to misquote this. First Corinthians, second Corinthians 4 and 17. For our light affliction, which is for the moment, Worketh for us more and more exceedingly an eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seeing but at the things which are not seeing. you got to look at something you can't see. How can you do that with carnal eyes? You can't. you got to look at
0: that
1: or right. temporal or temporal or for a season. That's like sand. You see? The rock. We want to build our house on a rock. It's like eternal, right? But if you're a hearer of the Word of God, and it's easy to do, it's easy to do, to hear the Word of God, but not do it. You understand what I'm saying? If you hear the Word of God, but you don't do it, Jesus said in Matthew 7, building your house on sand. It's something temporal. It's going to be moved away. You know, literally, literally now, some people have had their house washed away. Literally. I'm talking about this house. Literally washed away. Why? Because... They could not see what the Word of God said. Wrong foundation. Wrong foundation. They heard the Word of God, but they wouldn't confess what the Word of God said. They wouldn't do. They hear, but they won't do. See what I'm talking about? It's so easy to do that. Say, that's a nice doctrine. It's pretty, you know, but never put it into practice. You see what I'm talking about? It's so easy to not put it into practice, to be hearers, but not do it. If you do that, the trials, the troubles, the tribulation are going to react as though you're on sand. Because you are. Because if you see the things that are, you're dealing with the temporal. The things that are seen are temporal. But the things that are not seen are eternal. See? So you gotta see the things that you can't see with your carnal, with your carnal eyes in order to be based and founded on the eternal and not the temporal. Huh? Hebrews 11.1. 1. What do you see in the word of God? Well, I see I'm here. I see I'm delivered. I see I'm set free from sin. I see I've been given power over the works of darkness. I see uh, I've been given power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt me. I see all that. Well, you can't see it in the physical, can you? No, but if you see it in the spiritual, it will come to pass in the physical. But the Bible says God chose the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Right? And it says it in this verse. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So we've got to have our senses exercised to see how God tells us to see. He commands us how to see in the Scripture. David's weapon here, you know, he picked up five stones, but he only used one of them to knock Goliath out. He only took one of them to knock Goliath out. Most of the time, that's all it takes to knock Goliath out. Whatever kind of situation, circumstance you're in, and you're up against this mountain, this Goliath, it usually only takes one and knock him out. And what it was, I think, was this one right here, the mouth. That's the stone he used. Because look what he said in verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Now comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a javelin. For he was equipped But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. In other words, he knew whose authority was behind him, right? We know that God has given us authority against all the power of the enemy. You've got to know that. The God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day, look at this bold profession of faith, in It said, This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand." Little David, the big giant, right? And I will smite thee, and will take thy head from off thee, and I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the birds of heaven and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in heaven, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. That's, that's things that are, isn't it? You know, a lot of people are going to use the things that are to try to bring to nothing the things that are. God says use the things that are not. David used the things that are not. What David said was not. Notice. What David said was not. But it would be. <laughs> For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. And it came to pass when the Philistines rose and came and drew near to meet David that David hastened and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it And smote the Philistine in his forehead. And that's the mind of the flesh in the forehead. The mind of the flesh. The word of God comes against the mind of the flesh. You'll put to death that old giant that lives in your land. If you speak the word of God against the giants that are in your land, the word of God will put him to death. And the stone sank into his forehead and he fell upon his face to earth. And then, of course, David took his sword and cut his head off. That's what we got to do with our sword, too, by the way. We take that sword and we cut the old man's head off, right? You know, a lot of people's sword are still in their scabbard. You know, they don't ever use their sword. It's not an offensive weapon. But you got to take the word of God and use it. It's got to come out of your mouth. It's got to be useful. The Bible says, Be cursed be he that keepeth back his sword from blood. And Jeremiah says that. You're cursed. You've got to take the word of God and put something to death with that word of God. The biggest thing is that this one right here. you got to take that head off. The renewing of your mind, you know.
0: So every, everybody got issued uh, that double-edged sword uh, on Calvary in boot camp, huh? Basically,
1: yeah, you know. this is it right here. I'm <laughs> saying,
0: everybody got issued that sword on Calvary. Plus you, armor of faith. Yeah, because that, that's when the Lord Lord gave it. He said, okay.
2: You know. okay something I noticed in it is this, list, in this Hebrews uh, 5.14, the strong new belonging to them that are a full age and it says uh, by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In one of the prophecies of the second coming of Christ, I think it's in Isaiah, under the name of Emmanuel, isn't it? Butter and honey shall he eat that he might know to discern the evil... And choose the good. Yeah. Isaiah 7. So, as I read that, it occurred to me there's only one thing that anybody can eat that will make them able to reject the evil and do the good, even to recognize the evil from the good, and that's the Bible. So here, Jesus was the Word of God, and was living in the Word of God all of his life. And here he's saying the same thing. By reason of use, have their senses exercised to, to discern both good and evil. If you're not in the Word of God, and you don't know the Word of God, you can't do it. And, and my favorite scripture, I suppose, well there's two, but uh, John 8, 31 and 32 said to those Jews that believed on him, If there's an if it. if you continue in my word then are you my disciples indeed and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free from what well what's your problem that's what you'll get free from whatever they might be and then the other one those giants yeah the giants and the other one is uh, John eighteen thirty-seven, I think uh, second part of it Jesus was talking to Pontius Pilate and Pil- Pilate asked him, are you a king? And he said, thou sayest, I'm a king. Uh, to this end was I born. For this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. So truth is ahead of salvation or anything else. That's the, that is the gospel, is the truth. Without the truth, nobody gets saved. Without the gospel, we don't. And so the truth to me is man's highest calling on this earth. If you die a martyr's death for standing to the truth, you have you have what done the highest calling of man on this earth. Is what is what I would say. Yeah. And here he's talking about something here strong meat that permits a person to discern both good and evil.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's
0: for the mature man, that,
2: you know. Without standing this Word of God, they're not going to be a mature person. But I just was interested to see that scripture. I hadn't noticed it. I have not noticed it since I saw that part about butter and honey shall he eat. And as my read through the Bible for the last 23 years, I have read that over and over and I wondered, what is that talking? But all of a sudden, I read it the last time, and I realized there's only one thing anybody can eat that's going to be able to reject the evil and do the good. Where is it Isaiah 7? Butter and honey shall he eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Butter and honey within itself won't do it. He's talking figuratively about something else, and it could only be the... The word of God that he's talking about it is the truth. My favorite subject is that if a person stays in the word of God, he will know the truth. He will get free. But 98% of all Christians have never read the Bible all the way through one time. 2% have at least once in a 30-year lifetime or so. But if you start talking about reading very much of the Bible all the way through, then you're going to go down to even a smaller percentage. And the first person that I heard teaching that, as I listened to him over a period of time, I was picking up that he was saying that if anybody stayed in the Word of God daily, they would never die prematurely from heart attack, cancer, TB, uh, plane wreck or car wreck, and as I kept listening to him, I finally went and asked him, Is that what you're teaching or preaching? He says, That's exactly what I'm preaching. I said, Well, I'm going to find out whether or not you're right. I'm going to do it. <laughs> so if I drop dead from all these things, you know he's not teaching the truth. <laughs> well, he said, You live out your natural lifespan and expire. So I'm 67. What is my natural lifespan? Another three years? I got at least three to go. Three,
0: three, four, ten.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but ten in extraordinary measures. I met one man in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, and I watched this uh, chief chemical engineer come in with his wife and this man, and I noticed they'd leave him at the table. They'd go through the food line, get the cafeteria, and bring a food back. And I noticed he had trouble sitting down. Somebody helped him sit down once. And then I found out he had a birthday. And it was his 101st birthday, that man. And so then he passed away. But the chief chemical engineer was uh Edward Jones, and I knew him. And I finally realized I need to ask him about his father-in-law. So I walked into his office, and I said... Ed, your father-in-law. I said, I'm interested. No. Was he a Bible reader? Ed's eyes got big as a silver dollar, he said. That man read that Bible over an hour every day. Amen. Well, he said that that man's mind was as sharp as a tap. all his life. He retired from one company. And went into another company as a, uh, head of the research and development department. It said he wrote these thick books on, uh, complex organic chemistry. And at that man, his mind was good right down to the end, perfectly clear. What is this word of God that What if his mind had been full of what's on that TV in his day and time? Boy, well, he'd have really been troubled with me. So,
1: Look at this verse here in Colossians 2 and 18. I don't know what you see here. I mean, there's a lot of things you can probably pick out of this, but the part I saw was not thinking right, not seeing right. So let no man rob you of your prize by voluntary humility and the worshipping of angels, dwelling in the things which he has seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, dwelling in the things
2: that you see. The only thing you teach the only thing. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, he Well, he's talking about, yeah, in this case, he is talking about mm-hmm. not seeing these things. Some mm-hmm. ancient authorities, and so on. I wonder if there's any American oh, pattern in there. Let me see. got up
0: without reason We'll
2: find things. out real quick, though, because in the American pattern, well, he's talking about worshiping angels, and now you got big signboards over here in the town that says, go to Jesus through the Virgin Mary. That's what's destroying the no,
1: Not is not in the original. There's no numeric pattern in it. Dwelling in things that he has seen. Um, which 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 book is that? This is a, a numeric New Testament that's been checked out in America. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, they use the text that had a numeric pattern in it, and not doesn't have a numeric pattern in it. But you know, if you're dwelling in things that you've seen instead of the things that God has seen and God has told you to see, then you're puffed up by your fleshly mind. Right? That's the situation you're in. And not holding fast the head. Not holding fast the head. The head is the one that's supposed to rule the body. How can Jesus rule us if we're still connected to an old fleshly carnal mind and not seeing the way he sees We've got to study the word of God so we can see the way he sees. And he commands us, you know, Jesus commands us how to see. Have you ever, tell you what you do, you go look up the word seeing in your concordance and look through the New Testament and you see how many places it tells you what to see. Like, for instance, one we just read in Peter, Second Peter, look at that. Second uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Now, you, you can't see this with the natural eyes because it's seeing something that, that's not manifest yet, right? Second Peter 1 and 3. And There's this little phrase all through the scriptures continuously. It says, <clears throat> Seeing that his divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, that's seeing something. This is what God tells you to see. Seeing that his divine power has granted unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. God has already given us everything that we need for life and godliness. So, the word life is owed. It's the, upper, the higher life, right? Through the knowledge of him that called us by his glory and virtue. This is what God wants us to see. Not to see that our lack, not to see our want, not to see our Incapability, but to see that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Because He's given us the power that we need. He won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we're able, right? So that must mean we have the power or not, right? But that's what He wants us to see. He commands us to see that. Here's another one in First Peter. In uh, 1 and 22. Yes, right. But He wants us to see the way He sees. First Peter in 1, point. 1 and 22. And in the text, of course, in 21, he's talking about walking by faith. That your faith and hope might be in God, 21. Seeing you have purified your souls in your obedience to the truth. This is what he wants us to see. He wants us to see that it's already done. It's already accomplished. Right? That our souls is already perfected. That we've already obeyed all the truth that's in the world. He wants us to see that from the beginning. He wants us to see, like God says, see the end from the beginning. You know, if we confess and we believe what the Word of God says, we see the end from the beginning. Always we see the end from the beginning. But do that sometimes. Look in the the concordance. See how many times God tells you to see this or to see that. Or that we're supposed to be seeing this. You know, seeing that. It says, uh, back over where we were, I think, let me see Second oh yeah, uh, Colossians 3 and three and 9. So seeing that you have put off the old man with his doings. Hey, that's a good one. This is what he wants you to see. That it's not something that you've got to accomplish in your own strength, but you have to see it as done in the cross. Seeing that you have put off the old man with his doings and have put on the new man. That is being renewed under knowledge after
2: the image of Him that created him. This is what we're supposed to see. He is writing to a spirit-filled uh, Christian congregation. That's right. So he's telling them that they have done that. But that doesn't mean that that whole crowd is going to keep it that way, because temptations come up, and they might they might go in the direction of that temptation, and the Lord might let him go. And it might be some period of time before that person comes to his senses and say, wait a minute, the Lord has now been waiting on me. Instead of me waiting on him, he's waiting on me to come back. And he has to come back. Because he's always a free agent. He can make up his mind to do what he wants to do. We've got some real good cases on that in the news all the time. That I'm convinced they started out all right but instead of cherishing the word of God they got a lot of other things between them and the Lord mm. and so they got away from the Lord and the Lord was waiting on them in some cases he still is waiting on them they were exercising their their prerogative to do their will or God's will and they chose the wrong will and as time went on Even large segments of the country thought that surely it must be of God. And all of a sudden, a day of reckoning came, and it all collapsed. And so he ended up in the prison for what? The criminally insane. That's basically where he's at. They didn't say that, but that's his political, criminally insane type people I read him. I wrote him a letter with nine points on it. And mentioned all the things that would have saved them from doing those things, but I didn't get an answer. When people get like this, you can't talk to them. But I did tell him this: I said, "You keep saying on TV that they might shut down Christian TV in this country. Whatever we're wrestling with in the flesh, you know, whatever
1: our weakness." The Lord wants us to see that that's already put off. He wants us to see it accomplished before it's accomplished, and uh, He wants us to see that we've already put on the new man because of what Jesus did. He wants us to see it be completed result. He said, "Reckon yourself to be dead unto sin,
0: but alive unto God."
1: Reckon it already done. See it as a considered uh, com-
2: uh, completed. Past. See, in that verse 23 says, if you continue in the faith, it and it. he's got a mm-hmm. heal. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, don't be moved away from it. Mm-hmm. Some of these people do get moved away from it. Sure. Well, one thing for sure, if you don't see it and confess
1: it as an accomplished work, then the Holy Spirit don't rise up and give you strength. He don't give you power because you're not never. walking by faith. You'll never find out what God's got for you. That's right. You just will fall away. If we don't seek God's gift of grace through faith, uh, we'll find ourselves getting weaker and weaker and weaker, and we will fall
2: away. But we walk by faith, but all of these all of these epistles have got that same point in there, that they have come out of it, they have renounced it, and now they are clean. And then he goes on to tell them, the people that commit these acts will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so they've still got a choice. They can go back into that, and he's telling them, if you do, this is the end result. These things cannot be condoned in the kingdom of God. Uh, He that does the will of my Father shall inherit the kingdom of God.
0: One verse says that not only will they not enter the kingdom, but they won't even see it. They won't even be close enough to see it. You know, I don't know if anybody's ever traveled to, to Texas before. Texas is a long time, you know, traveling on the roads and, uh, if anybody's ever seen the, the, the movie, The Wizard of Oz, uh, how they're far away and you can see Oz, well, you can see Dallas and Houston and places like that from from 20 miles away. You can see it, a metropolis, you know, with the cloud over it and stuff. And it's kind of scary. The closer you get, you can see. But I have a vision that the kingdom is, you know, like the king. Man. you won't even see the kingdom from far away like that. If you've ever been traveling, I can, you can literally see, you know, the kingdom of the city. You know, do you think that verse means like I was thinking that you won't even see it, or that means you know that you won't no, see, it see it No, they'll never see it. They can't go. see it now.
2: They will never the see it. The kingdom of
1: heaven is here among us. Yeah. I mean, it's just, the, the Bible says that the, the kingdom of heaven cometh not with the observation. What's he talking about? Physical eyes, mm-hmm. right?
2: But those who are born in the Spirit can see it with their spiritual eyes. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He has to come up to this first. He can't possibly see it. And even if he does come up to that, and then he reverts back and begins to practice all these things, he still is not going to see it. That's right. And over there in the book of revelation it does say that outside are the dogs they will not come into that city and some people think maybe they're outside the door but it's not it's it means that they are out of the kingdom period the way i would interpret it the thing about being born again is traditions of men says
1: born again is just coming to jesus and receiving the Holy spirit The Bible teaches a lot more to being born again than that. It teaches that your soul is being born again as you obey the truth, the fruit of Christ. And it teaches your body is going to be born again when Christ comes again. Rebirth is a lot more than accepting Jesus as my Savior. Uh But when you're born again, whatsoever is born again overcomes the world. And whatsoever is born again, there's no sin there. Right? But that part of you can see the kingdom of God too. To the extent you're, to the extent we are born again, to that extent we can see the kingdom of God. And while the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed. The spiritual man is taking the
2: land, you know. And when the spiritual man takes the land, the more born again you are. If the person does have his problems, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I've even had that happen in my life on one occasion quite miraculously. I was going out making job interviews and I was getting so sick that I could hardly make the interviews. And when I get back home, I got even sicker and I was hurting in here worse than I am right now. And I was thinking, I've always said that Christians do not have to have uh, drugs and tranquilizers and all that, but it looks like unless God does something, I'm going to end up in the hospital taking drugs. So I prayed to God about it. And I got down on my knees, and I said, God, if you will show me what this is all about, what's causing this, I promise you, no matter what you show me to do to correct the situation, I will correct it. So, at that moment, nothing happened, but I went to lunch, and when I came back to the motel from the lunch, I stopped at this stoplight, just in front of the motel, and like that, a revelation came into me. And the revelation was, those people that you used to work for, write them letters, and show them everything you have done wrong, confess your wrongs to them, ask their Forgiveness, ask them, you beg their pardon, ask for forgiveness. Oh, I left that part of it. But when I was on my knees praying to God, I said, God, if you'll heal me at the same time you show me. what the answer to it is, I said, then I know positively that you've spoken to me. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, when the revelation came into me, the pain just dissipated. And... That scripture came to me. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Years ago, when I worked for those big corporations, I left this one and went with others competitors of theirs and was using anything that I could to earn a living, but I was using their information. And what the Lord had me to do, and every time I was going in to make an interviews. I had pushed this down in my subconscious so much I couldn't remember what was causing it. I was afraid it was going to find out about my past activities. And it was making me sick. So the Lord said, write them. Well, I did. I wrote them. And I told them. And I got answers back immediately. Mm-hmm. That uh, they did forgive me. And that if they had any work for which I was qualified, they'd be happy to employ me in the future. I finally did end up working for that very same company two and a half years in the biggest engineering company on earth here in Greenville. So that scripture is real, and it works. Mm-hmm. In that case, I confessed with my mouth what I had done wrong, mm-hmm. and God cleansed me and forgave me for it. Well, that seems to be a lost art today, I tell you, but it's, it's still mighty powerful to confess your sin on to another. Oh, yeah, sure. We're we'll going get back in the room, oh, right? But this other thing now, everybody's got a concordance, I hope. Oh, yeah. But this word that we're talking about, uh if you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, leaving in our God's reason from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I use that all the time to lead people to the Lord. And if you get a person to confess that, acknowledge that with his mouth. He'll be saved just like that. He'll know it, too. And a bunch of them will also start speaking in tongues, too. But if you look that word up, which word? Saved. That word in Strong's Exhaustive Concordance is not past tense. The root word, the first meaning is safe, S-A-F-E, not saved. Now, that's bad news to the Southern Baptists but that is that's <laughs> <what> it is. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody yeah, else said, <laughs> that one says that you're going to have to live the Christian life and it's an ongoing process you get saved and you're safe and you get safer and safer and I don't have any problem with it myself. and the same the same word sozo is used
1: to say made whole healed healed delivered
2: and saved. Yeah. It's used in many different ways. It covers a multitude. And I think man kind of manipulated a little bit right. to put the past tense on the thing. And there might be some places where you read it and it would be desirable to say it through past tense. Because it means all of that. It means it means deliverance
1: for all of that in our life. That's what well, salvation what the Southern Baptists wouldn't like that either because that word
2: is used for healing. That's good. Yeah. Right. You see I accepted the Lord early, not early, but to me it was early, uh, and believed in the resurrection. And I was looking at the resurrection in the story, the greatest story ever told. And as I was reading about the resurrection and the number of witnesses, I had been studying a bunch of statistics and math along at this same time. And all of a sudden, some way it came to me as a revelation. This man really lived. He was raised with it. Up to that moment, I just thought it was something that games game of grown people played. Well, there is a lot of grown people play that game. That's not I say. But uh, then I was a believer, and I saw that. But I still did not understand much that's in the Bible. And I prayed, but I couldn't say that I ever saw a miracle really happen that I could identify as that. This prayer, this is a miracle, that goes with it. But after I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, faith came into me. And it was a faith that all of a sudden I couldn't understand it, I began to believe in miracles. I began to believe that my faith was somebody gonna get healed. You know what? They were. And so that faith came in. Well, simultaneously or somewhere along the time that the Spirit came into me. That type of faith I was not able to muster up on my own. That came later. I had no idea that miracle was going to happen to me. Might as well share that. I had no, we don't know how close to a miracle we might be, or we don't know how close we might be to a closer spiritual life, or a closer walk with the Lord. But in First Chronicles 410, there is a story in right in the middle of that genealogy about the man Jabez, and he said Jabez was more honorable than his brother. And his mother bore him in sorrow. I guess that's the his name was Jabez. He said Jabez prayed to the God of Israel this prayer. He said, "Oh that Thou wouldst bless me indeed and enlarge my coast." and that thine hand might be with me, and that thou wouldst keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. He said, God granted him that which he requested. I have memorized that prayer, and was walking around in Houston, Texas, all weekend praying that prayer. And I had needs in my life. And that's the reason I was doing it. I was praying that prayer fervently. And somebody had recommended it to me. So Monday morning, I was sitting in a computer programming class in Houston, Texas, and this guy was at the blackboard teaching computer mathematics. That's one time I'm glad I was not listening to the teacher or watching him at all. I kept on reciting Jabez's prayer over and over and over, and all of a sudden, this tremendous peace started coming into me. I think I started to break out in goose pimples, and the next thing I knew, I felt God in my body just like that. And I, I thought, I have changed worlds without getting out of my seat. And these people in here, had come into the spirit world. What happened? These people don't not know what happened to me. So I prayed the same prayer 3,000 3, years later. God granted me that which I requested. That's when the Holy Spirit came to me. And immediately at that moment, my pride took over there somewhere. And I decided, I am not going to speak in my own tongues. Because I don't be, be dealing with these elite. <laughs> but then I realized very shortly that I didn't have all this experience, my prayers could get up this high but I couldn't break through I couldn't get free and stay free, so then I started talking out to the Lord about it and he let me struggle a little bit about it. but after, after I spoke in tongues, then I did get the way through but I could tell I did not have all of the experience I could tell. I forgot how, why I brought that, oh yeah we do grow and greater things do happen. And we don't know how close we might be to something of this nature, whatever, whatever it might be or whatever we need. You know how we can get closer to miracles. Yeah. yeah. The closer you get to the Lord so, and the deeper you get into the Word of God, the closer okay. you gotta be getting. you hear and do it. The Word yeah. of
1: God. Mm-hmm. 1 John 3 and 21. We started out here, I don't know, I think it must have been a week and a half ago on, uh, talking about hindrances to our faith. And, uh, I kind of went off in one direction, but I kind of like to look at it in another direction too. The verse says, beloved, if our heart condemn us not, we have boldness towards God. And we went off in the direction that, uh, There's an unrighteous condemnation that comes from the devil, and it comes because we don't understand our position in Christ as perfected, as healed, as delivered, you know, Um, as Christ himself. That's our position. But the other direction is, verse 22, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. We can have boldness. We have boldness when we are obedient. When we do what we know to do, we have boldness towards God. Verse 23 says, And this is the commandment that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, even as he gave us commandment." The commandment is that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. Believe in the name, meaning, believe
0: in the name. I guess, uh,
1: really the point, I think the main point is, is that we believe in the Jesus of the Bible, you know. Uh, the name means nature and character. So many people are believing on a Jesus that's really not there, you know. The same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. And uh, and so they're ineffective. But one of the points I wanted to make was there's several things that lie our boldness. One is the disobedience to God of, of what we know to do. Not the failures, of course, but the disobedience to God of what we know to do. What we know of God's will, right? And the other one is in 1 John 5 and 14. It says, and this is the boldness which we have towards him. And if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Another thing that hinders our boldness is not knowing the will of God. And how can you believe on his name except you read the scriptures and find out what his name is? I'm not talking about the name Jesus. I'm talking about his character. Word, name, meaning, onoma, character. You know, his nature. And how can you know what the will of God is unless you become familiar with it through the word? I remember, you know, there's well, I say through the word, but there's other ways to be familiar with God's will. God gave us some dreams about moving over here years ago. And uh, those dreams made us confident that it was the will of God. We went around confessing, you know, that we were going to be moving over here and that I was going to be retiring and so on and so forth. Strictly on the basis of what God had showed us, his will was through dreams. Uh, I remember way back at the beginning of our Christian walk, when Mary got in that accident on a motorcycle and, uh, a friend of ours told us about healing. Well, we've been going to a Baptist church and just barely getting into the Bible. She remembered a verse or two about healing. So we, we decided we we're going to do a search in the scriptures to see what the will of God was for healing. Baby Christians, yeah, we'll see what the will of God was for healing. And we did a search. And you know it didn't take long for us to be convinced, even as baby Christians, that the will of God was to heal us.
0: And
1: of course, God confirmed that. We we went we went to a church that uh, a Pentecostal church because they believed in uh, laying hands on the sick. They laid hands on Mary, and God spoke to her. I don't know a week or so later, you know, He said and taught us that. Not only do you have to believe, but you have to confess, and your actions have to go along with your belief. And he asked her, if you believe that you're healed, why are you still taking that medicine? You know? But, you know, the guy that we went to, to be prayed for, I was just thinking about this. A baby Christian can read the scriptures without any predetermined ideas about what's right and what's wrong they can go in there and read the scriptures and come out of it knowing that God wants them healed. But yet there's people who have walked in the Lord for 30 and 40 years and even taught the word of God for that long and still aren't convinced of that. I was thinking about the guy that prayed for Mary, you know, the, the, the preacher, the pastor of that Pentecostal church prayed for Mary. You know, as I can't, I, I really respected him and really loved him for the time that we were under his ministry, you know. But the guy had no faith to believe that God wanted him healed.
0: can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water, make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow oh, Jesus, I trust in you the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe, for your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in